announcement. And uh, so just to tell you how much Miss Darla, the, the, the power that she has back there uh, in influence, um, she, uh, we were, uh, we're going to start this new ministry, the little church with the younger kids. And uh, we, we have six ladies that are working in that opposed to Miss Darla in the other one. So uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, she enjoys working back there. Usually has a few teens that help her out. But um, she has definitely kind of bore the, the brunt of maybe with things we don't even realize. Um, I don't know how many have been back there, 25 to 30 uh, almost every week. She's been back there with having a good old time. And uh, sometimes I miss those days. I used to do junior church all the time. That's kind of when I was a teenager and in college. And uh, it's like VBS every week, and it's a lot of fun. And they don't typically fall asleep during the service. And you can throw candy at them, and they love you. That's all you have to do. I don't know. That might go over well here, too. Y'all might enjoy the service a lot better if it's just every once in a while you're just throwing double bubble here and there, you know. And, the service might go over a little bit better, but uh, anyways, that aside, Second Kings chapter number five here this morning is where we're going to be at, and Second um, Kings and chapter number five, <clears throat> and uh, always enjoy uh, this story. I'm actually um, about to come through this area again in my Bible reading, and uh, just love First Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And uh, First and Second Chronicles may be a different story, but I always enjoy uh, those books. They're a huge blessing. And uh, so Second Kings in chapter number 5 here this morning. And we're still on the subject of faith. So we've been dealing with faith, and we're going to continue to do that. More of a negative example today of faith. We've looked at a lot of real positive examples of faith. So we're going to see a, a kind of more of a negative example of faith here this morning in the person of Naaman. And so let's stand together, if you're able to, to honor the reading of God's Word, 2 Kings chapter number 5, and we're going to start reading there in verse number 1. 2 Kings 5, 1 says this, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord... Uh, had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Now I don't know about you, if I get that letter, I go, you want me to do what? Okay. So verse number 7, it says, And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. 
Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought... What a key phrase there, right? I thought... He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. That's really specific. Naaman really thought this out. Okay. It says in verse number 12, uh, Are not Abna and Fairfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I'd like to preach to you this morning this pride that prohibits faith. Pride that prohibits faith. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing uh, in honor of the word of God. <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a notorious instruction follower when it comes to putting things together. Anybody else in that same vain. Uh, now all you men are like, we don't need the instructions. I got this. It'll all work out, right? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a step one through whenever it's done. Follow the steps. You get it all finished. And when you get to the end and there's extra parts and you go, what did I miss, right? Uh, but I love taking step by step and just follow the instructions, putting together Ikea furniture. I tell you what, it takes almost a master's degree, you know, and, and engineering to put all them pieces, but you just follow it step by step and you'll get where you need to go. My uh, cousin, uh, Samantha, was living with us when I was in high school for a, a couple years. She lived with us and she wanted a desk in her room. So my dad went and bought her one of those little prefabricated cheap little desks from Walmart. And next thing I know, she comes down from upstairs, me and my dad are downstairs and she goes, Uncle Charles, I need a saw. My dad looks at her and goes, why do you need a saw? And she goes, because I need to cut it. It's not going together right. And so it was one of those things, when you don't follow the instructions, you usually wind up with a mess on your hands. Needless to say, she did not end up with a desk in the end. Now, sometimes, whether we like it or not, it's good to follow the instructions. The instructions are given for a reason, and they help us get from point A to point B and actually receive and get and arrive where we want to be, right? They help us with that. 
some also probably come from a generation where you had the maps. You know what I'm talking about. If you unfurled it in the car, the windshield would be completely covered. Yeah, that, when I was a kid, that's how we grew up. You know, We had the atlas, and we'd sprawl it out, and we would draw out the map. My dad would draw it out. You know, We're going to go from here. We're going to take highway this, and we're going to do this. Nowadays, I don't even know where my own house is anymore. GPS just tells me, turn left here, and you just turn left, right? But I'm telling you, you follow the instructions, though, and you'll probably wind up where you need to be. You don't follow the instructions, and sometimes you can wind up in a completely wrong location. Why didn't you just follow the instructions? Might be a statement somebody says to somebody here this morning, you wound up with the mess, why didn't you just follow the instructions? It didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Well, I didn't, well, did you follow the instructions? I didn't arrive where I wanted to. Well, did you follow the instructions? Well, can I encourage this morning? This would be like a very simplistic message, but sometimes we need simple. It's simply this. Why didn't you follow the instructions? Right? I, I mean... The Christian life, in a nutshell, is not complicated, right? It's, it's not meant to be complicated. We overcomplicate it. We stress out and we're like, oh, there's 66 books and like uh, these hundreds of pages and there's so much information. But it, it's simply this, obey God and stay away from sin. Amen. Love God, keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. It's really not meant to be like super complicated, it's a, a super easy formula simply to do what God says and just live the Christian life, love God, and obey and keep His commandments. Now, we oftentimes overcomplicate it. So the, the message here this morning is simply this. Read the instructions, follow the instructions, and I'm telling you right now, you'll wind up with what you want to wind up with. Because there's probably people here this morning saying, I want my marriage to look like this. Well, follow the instructions and it'll look the way that God intends it to look like. Yeah. Boy, I want my kids to turn out right. We're living in a dark day with kids and there's a lot of voices that are calling out to them to move in the wrong direction. And I want them to end up right and be good and productive citizens that love the Lord and have a good rock-solid marriage and love their children and, and have a good career. and Whatever that might look like, say this, well, follow the instructions. The Bible tells you how to do that. Just gives you instructions right there. Boy, I want my finances to look right. They're all out of whack. I've got more month than I've got money. And I keep coming to the end of the month and I don't have enough money and I keep being stressed out about money and there's this problem and there's this problem. Well, I'll tell you what, the Bible's got a lot to say about finances too. You follow the book and it'll help you out in that department. I'm telling you, over and over again, it doesn't matter what issue and what area of life, you can simply do this. Follow the instructions. And you'll wind up at the destination and with the product that you wanted to have in the end. Absolutely. We just go ahead and let this other back. Some here this morning might not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been trying everything in your life to be right. Take care of that problem of sin. Be on your way to heaven when you die. Take care of all those things. And you've been trying good works. And you've been trying religious activities. And you've been trying uh, 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 civil things of helping out with community. And helping out with the Little League team. And, and trying to have your good works outweigh your bad works and everything. Just simply follow the instructions. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Follow the instructions. Listen, here this morning the simple cry is this. Sometimes the instructions might seem simplistic. But follow the instructions. Sometimes they might seem a little complicated. Follow the instructions. Sometimes they might not make sense. Follow the instructions. 
Whatever it is, simply follow the Word of God. It'll never, ever, ever lead you astray. God's Word is always accurate. It's always true. And it'll always get you to the destination and with the product that you want to wind up with. So the story of Naaman, let me give you a little bit of background here that's not in our text to kind of help us out with some context clues of what's going on here. Now, at the end of 1 Kings and chapter number 22, so we're rewinding a few chapters here, Israel goes to battle with Syria, which is where Naaman is from. And it doesn't go well for them. There's a king named Ahab. We talked about King Ahaz last week. This week we're talking about King Ahab. King Ahab went to battle against Syria, and in that battle that God told him not to go, but a false prophet told him, yeah, go, buddy, it'll turn out good for you. Well, he went, and he died in the battle. King Ahab, probably more to the point, King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, they were some of the worst rulers that Israel ever had. Actually, if you think about a wicked king, most of the time people identify Ahab before they identify any other wicked king. He was awful. Now, some people have thought that Naaman, either his division or him personally, might have had something to do with that victory and with King Ahab dying. Because he's mentioned here in chapter 5, verse number 1, that he was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. So he's in charge, at least in part, if not the whole, of the military there of Syria. And he's a man that has high reputation. It talks about him being a great man, an honorable man, and a man of valor. Those are some high weighty titles. So obviously there's some emphasis here of this. We don't know for sure that he killed King Ahab. But it seems like that might even be some of the things that are played into this. Now, <clears throat> leading up to this, there's a guy by the name of Elijah, a prophet, and God used him mightily against King Ahab. Um, and you read about the, in 1 Kings all the stuff that Elijah did is just amazing. It's incredible. Now, Elijah has a, a young pupil by the name of Elisha. So Elijah has a pupil named Elisha. Now, Elijah is about to leave from this earth. He's one of only two people recorded in the Bible that didn't die. Instead, God snatched him up and took him. And Elijah went with fanfare. So Elijah, the Bible says, he is snatched up with a flaming chariot from heaven and is hoisted up to heaven that way. And so Elijah is talking to Elisha before this happens, and he says, Son, what, what can I do for you before I leave? God's about to take me up to glory. And he says this, I want double of everything you had. Now, that, that's quite an aggressive ask, isn't it? You got to do some awesome things. God used you in a mighty way, and I want to do double of everything you did. Now, Elijah said, Okay, if you want that, then you see me. Don't turn your eyes away. You watch me when that chariot comes. And so the chariot comes. Snatches up Elijah, Elisha sees it, and instantly after that, Elisha begins to do some amazing miracles. And if you, you do it, number for number in the Bible, Elisha had exactly double. The only thing at the end of his life that he didn't have double of was raising somebody from the dead. Elijah raised one person from the dead, and Elisha in his lifetime only raised one person from the dead. But God good. Somebody threw a dead guy inside of Elisha's grave, after he's already dead, his bones are in there. The dead guy touches Elisha's bones and comes back to life. Double, right? God blesses even after his death. So anyways, Elisha's being used in a mighty way. At this point, so it's just a short time. Elijah's death to now Elisha, the prophet. It's only been a very short time. But in this short time, 
you've had Elisha do wonderful miracles. The first one is this. A widow comes, and her and her son, she's like, we're in trouble. We don't have enough money. We got debts. We got problems. He goes, well, what do you have? That's usually a thing the Lord asks. Use what you have, not what you don't have. He comes to him and says, well, what do you have? And he goes, well, we just have this little bit of oil. Okay, start borrowing pots. And I love when he says this, not a few. Don't go chintzy on God. Have some faith here. And so they start collecting pots, borrowing from neighbors, and they take that oil and they start to pour it. And they just keep pouring and keep pouring. And before long, all the pots are full. And Elisha says, go sell it. You can pay your debt and live on what's left. So that's pretty awesome miracle. That's a good magic trick. That works out pretty good. Another thing that he does is he prophesies about a Shunammite woman that she was barren, and he says, you're going to have a kid. And lo and behold, she winds up having a kid. Cruel twist of fate, the kid then soon after dies. And Elisha comes and actually raises the Shunammite woman's son from the dead. One of those amazing miracles. Not only that, but then there's a group of guys who decide they're going to have a pot of stew they get a bunch of wild gourds, cut them up, put them in there, and they all get sick, and people are dying. And Elisha comes, and he heals that pot of stew and heals those guys that got sick from it. it again, just amazing miracles of how God is already using Elisha. They say this, he has a reputation. The guy that he was under, Elijah, did some pretty amazing things. And now Elisha is following in that exact same thing. Now, just to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here. Naaman, of course, he is this captain. But in verse number one, we describe him this way. He was a leper. So I almost thought about putting a bunch of images of leprosy up on the screens and then thought better. Because I know some of you all probably wouldn't appreciate that very much. So use your imagination. And for those who aren't squeamish, look it up after the service, okay? So anyways, leprosy, what it is, is it's basically a, uh, in the Bible, the term leprosy could define many different skin ailments. It wasn't always just one specific one. But it seems like here, Naaman, in specific, has what we would today identify as leprosy. So leprosy basically kills the nerve endings, making it where you can't feel, so what happens is, is people get cuts or bruises or burns and they don't even realize it. And then bacteria begins to grow and infections set in and they start to lose limbs. And usually it doesn't cause death, but at this time, there's no cure. If you're a leper, you're a leper for life. Highly contagious, touch somebody, you get it. So the Jewish law during Jesus' day was if someone was coming that had leprosy, they were supposed to take their fingers and cover their lip like this and yell, unclean, unclean, and nobody. That's one of the reasons why the disciples and everybody else started losing their mind when Jesus walks up to a leper and touches them and heals him. Because ceremonially and in every other way, civilly, Jesus was unclean then. But that wasn't the case because he healed the leper. So anyways, leprosy was this very debilitating thing. Naaman, the Bible says, he has leprosy. He was a leper. We say, well, how bad was his leprosy? Well, it must have been pretty bad because after he's healed, remember he dunked seven times in the Jordan when he gets up, the Bible says his hands, his arms, his flesh that had been covered in the leprosy is new like a baby's skin. The disease has progressed far enough that he's got issues that are showing on himself. So this isn't some new thing that he's dealing with. He has had it for some period of time. 
Now, we don't know exactly where this little Jewish girl comes from, but we don't do know this from verse number 2. In the battle between Israel and Syria, a little girl was taken and became a slave, a servant, to Naaman's household, to his wife. She waited on the wife. Now, I don't know where this little girl came up with this, because you read in Luke chapter 4 in the New Testament, and Jesus is preaching, and he says, there were many lepers during... Uh, uh, good gracious, drawing a blank here. Uh, there were many lepers during this time period, 2 Kings, uh, and none of them were healed save Naaman the leper. Now, what's miraculous about this is you have this little girl who get the idea, she's like a pre-puberty little girl, like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old little girl, and she says this, I wish you were in Israel because the man of God could heal you. Where'd she come up with that from? She's never seen it in her entire lifetime, nor would she ever see it again after Naaman. That was it. I mean, there's the only time that God healed any leper during that time period was Naaman, according to Jesus in the New Testament. So anyway, somewhere along the line, though, this little girl, she speaks up to the wife and she says, look, the man of God could heal Naaman of his leprosy. Now, apparently this carried enough weight because I don't think so much because of the testimony of a little girl, but because of the reputation of Elijah and Elisha. I mean, there's been stories of people being raised from the dead and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so because of that, this little girl's testimony carries some weight with it. And so because of that, the king gets involved. The king of Syria... With his main military man, he says, Naaman, I want you to go on into Israel, and I'm going to write a letter before you. Send it by some servants to the king. <laughs> I love this. He sends it to the king, and he, he basically the letter reads this way, Heal Naaman, P.S., or else. <laughs> At least that's how the king read it, because he said, he's trying to find a quarrel against me. Remember, they've already had war. Previous king Ahab got killed. And he's sitting there and he's thinking, uh, the king of Syria is asking me to do something that is absolutely impossible. Because just like that little girl, he had never seen anybody healed of leprosy. He never envisioned that could happen. It's this, this. The king says, heal him of his leprosy or else. And so what, what does the king do? Well, the Bible says he rends his clothes. Starts ripping his clothes off. He's freaking out. He's stressing out. He doesn't know what to do. And so Elisha hears about the king absolutely losing his mind. And so he goes for him and goes, Hey, king, don't lose your mind. Tell Naaman to come to my house. And that way he'll know there is still a prophet in Israel. You might have lost your mind, king, and not believe that there is indeed a God, but there's still a prophet in Israel that believes there is a God. And apparently there's still a little girl that believes there's a prophet and, and that there's still a God in Israel. But you could almost do a whole case study on every character in this story about their faith. Because here you have a king that should have faith in God that doesn't. And you have a little girl that does have faith in God. It's a great reminder sometimes the most amazing faith isn't in this room. It's in that room back over there. Childlike faith is incredible. And we need to always have childlike faith with our God. And so here we have this little girl who says that he uh, can be healed, a king that is not believing that. And so uh, we have Naaman heading into the uh, area where the prophet lives. Now, in verses 
10, 11, 12, we get the story of what happens. So Naaman pulls up to Elisha's house, and Elisha comes out with fanfare. He starts to blow trumpets. and Okay, that's not what happens. Not in the slightest. You read in there, actually, Naaman, he comes with a lot of wealth, doesn't he? He comes with changes of raiment, gold, silver, all kinds of tons of money. Naaman is somebody of great importance. The king has requested he be healed of his leprosy. He's from the nation of Syria, the one that just whooped up on Israel. They're lowly compared to the great Syrians, right? And so here you have this man of great pomps, great circumstance. He's coming in with his entourage and his fanfare. Even though he's a leper, he is still a man of great significance. He shows up at the house of this lowly prophet, Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even see him in person. Elisha sends out a servant. The servant comes out to Naaman and he says, Oh, my boss told me to tell you that you need to go take seven baths in the Jordan River. Now, you can go look up the Jordan River if you want, but the Jordan River is uh, like some of the rivers we have around here in Texas sometimes. They're not like the Colorado Springs that you can see to the bottom and there's beautiful trout swimming in. You're good to see an inch down into that thing. It's a muddy cesspool. <laughs> it's a dirty river. It's got a lot of mud and there's not a whole lot of wonder to it or beauty to it. It just, <clears throat> it's a Jordan River. And so... Here's Naaman's response about having to go take seven baths. Now, I wonder if I tell my children to take one bath, they lose their mind and start calling them Naaman. Naaman's older, though, so seven baths apparently was his limit because he says, nah, he gets mad. To what point does he get mad? He leaves. He turns away from the, the, the person that's there, the servant that's telling him, hey, you need to do this. And he says, I'm through with this. And he leaves, and the Bible says that he has wrath. Well, what does wrath look like? Well, I don't know. Think about when you get really mad. What do you do? Just throwing things and yelling and screaming and throwing dirt. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. He's out there just having a huge hissy fit, losing his mind, and he's out there just thinking, this is awful, this is dumb, I, this is not the way this is supposed to go. And, and you, we read it in the text there, but he goes this, I thought... Isn't that what he said? Amen. He said, here's what I was envisioning in my mind when we were on the way down here. That Elisha was going to come out and he was going to say, oh, great Naaman. And he was going to come out there and he was going to take his hand and he was going to strike it against the flesh and that God was going to heal it. He said, this is not what I thought was going to happen. I thought something else was going to happen. So he said, well, it's just a misunderstanding. No, 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 this is pride. So how do you know that? Well, the very next verse, Naaman goes... I might be willing to take a bath, but what's wrong with the good rivers in Syria? And he names those two rivers there, and he goes, I'll go take a bath, but I'll do it in those rivers. I'm not going in that muddy, nasty, Israeli uh, river over there. That Israelite river, it's not worthy of my time. And Naaman, he's just over there just mad. And, have, and I love it. It takes a servant to go over there. His servant's going there, Naaman. <clears throat> You know, if he had asked you to do some really big thing, you'd already been done with it. 
you know, you think about some big thing that he might ask him to do. You know, if 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 he had asked, if he'd asked him maybe go kill some other nation or you know do some big thing, you would have been all over that. But he's only asked you to take a bath. Is it really that big of a deal? And apparently Naaman comes to himself. He goes down into the Jordan, and I love this. He washes seven times. So the, the idea is that he would lather up and he would dip. He'd lather up and he'd dip. Now, you probably heard this before, but you know, you lather up, you dip, and Naaman's like, to a second time, third time, fourth time. Come on, you do this so many times and you're like, there should be a little bit going on here. But that's not the way our God works. And so he continues to go. Now, we'll give credit to Naaman with this. He had terrible faith. But after the sixth bath, I'm sure he's thinking, this is ridiculous. It's never going to work. And yet he does it anyway. Because there's at least enough in him that believes that God can and God will. After that seventh bath, he comes up. And of course, his flesh is like the skin of a young child. Some of y'all are like, I need that therapy right now. My skin's getting a little too old for me. I need to get some skin like a child again. But Naaman, he comes up and he has this childlike skin showing to the extent in which God healed him. The, The miraculous thing. No scars. No pits. No deformity left from this disease of leprosy. God healed him all the way and completely. Amazingly, God healed him up. We say, well, what's the big deal? What what does this mean for us today? Well, it's simply this. There were simple instructions given to Naaman, but he didn't like those instructions because they didn't line up with what he thought God was going to do. You know, oftentimes our perception about what we think God should do and what God has actually declared that he will do are completely opposite of each other. Sometimes here this morning, you might be sitting there saying, I thought God would do this, and I want God to do this. But sometimes God's got a different story for your life, and He's got a different script that He's working off of. You'd be well to remember this. You're not the one in charge. He is. Pride often prohibits faith. In pride, we can say, well, I want it this way, or I'm not doing it at all. We can walk away in wrath. I can't tell you how many people I've had, even in church, who have walked away angry at God, angry at church, angry at me, because of what God's instructions say. They leave mad. And you know what? In the end, what do they leave with? Leprosy. Had Naaman left in a wrath and his servants never talked to him and knocked some sense into him, and he left in a fit of rage and upset, he said this, that prophet couldn't do anything for me. He let me down. He lied. They said they could heal me, and they couldn't do anything. A bunch of hypocrites down there. Come on now, isn't this what Naaman would be saying? Angry, upset, mad. But it had nothing to do with the prophet. It had nothing to do with God. It had nothing to do with the message or the messenger. It had everything to do with Naaman's pride. He was unwilling to submit to what God's instructions said. But I'm so thankful we have the story of Naaman, who got over his pride, got over himself, and said, it's not what I thought, but it's what God said. And he went down into the river, and he washed seven times. And because of it, what happened? He's clean. No more leprosy. 
Not just that God removed the leprosy, but He restored His flesh better than it was. God healed completely and miraculously this man named Naaman. I want to submit to you here this morning, God wants to do some miraculous things in your life. God loves you, and it's not like God's sitting up there and He doesn't want good and right and beneficial things for your life. It's just sometimes what He says is good and right is not what we view as good and right. And we sit back and we say, well, I thought God was going to give me a bunch of money. And I thought God was going to take all my health problems and they were never going to happen. And I thought I was going to be a part of a good church. I thought and I thought. But sometimes God has a different story for us, doesn't he? Amen. Sometimes he says, no, I want you to go to a muddy river. And I want you to do it seven times. You ever had that happen before? Well, here we go again. I guess cancer's coming back up. Well, here we go again. I've got to deal with this problem again. Well, finances are tied again this month. Sometimes, aren't you thankful God doesn't give you everything you want? Boy, we'd be in trouble if He did that. But listen, maybe it is the life and the path and the relationships and the history that God has given you is only of His grace and His great mercy because of His love for you. And He's saying this, don't fight against what I'm trying to work in your life. Instead, by faith, just do what I'm asking you to do. Follow the instructions. Follow the instructions. Listen, I know everybody's different. I'm thankful for that. Different ages, different socioeconomical status, with different uh, um, uh, likes and dislikes and personalities. We come from different walks of life, different upbringings. I'll say this. My marriage is not like your marriage, but I do know this. God's principles apply to your marriage just like they apply to another person's marriage, just like they apply to my marriage, and they will work. Bar none, they will work. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a universal principle. It works every time. Wives, see that you reverence your own husband. It's a principle. It works. Listen, there is something in the Bible about every issue of life. You say, I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to handle my, my finances here. I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to, I'm trying and I seem like I'm failing. Well, just tell you, the Bible has some pretty clear instructions. Give God the first fruits, tithe, give. Well, then what do I do with that? Well, budget, plan. A wise man foresees the danger and puts up in the storehouse. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of principles in the Word of God that'll help you financially, help you get on track of where God wants you to be. So what about my kids? I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to raise them right. It seems like there's behavior problems and there's these issues and there's this problem here and there's this problem there. And driving me crazy. We'll say this. Just do what the Bible says. Is that easy? No. It's super simple sometimes to actually do the exact opposite of what the Bible says, isn't it? Husbands, it's really easy to just get mad at your wife. It's really hard sometimes to love her. That came out really bad. Take that the right way. <laughs> Parents, sometimes it's really hard to discipline your children. The last thing you want to do is give them a spanking. But the Bible says spare the rod and what happens? You're going to spoil that kid. You're going to ruin them. And I tell you, there are so many principles in the Word of God that apply to every area and aspect of your life. Friendships, church life, ministry, you name it. That book's got the answers. Amen. So here, here's the simple message. Simple and plain is this. Follow the instructions. Sometimes God gives us His instructions 
in our walk of life where we're at and we go this, I ain't going to do that. That's beneath me. That's not what I want to do. It's not what I thought. But oftentimes what we think and what God says are worlds apart. But let God be true and every man a liar. God's word is always accurate. It's always right. And it will fit your situation. Regardless of where you're at this morning, don't let pride prevent faith in your life. Let faith reign supreme. might not make sense. It might be difficult. It might be simple. But simply do this. By faith, believe. Maybe you're here this morning you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you've been trying a lot of really complicated things to have your good works outweigh your bad works. You know what the Bible says is the way of salvation, the way a person gets saved, and they have their sins forgiven? It's simply this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on His name and be saved. We're about to have what's called an invitation. Some of this, inviting you to respond to what's been preached. God's Word is not just given for our acknowledgement, our entertainment, or for our understanding. It's given for a response. God wants us to respond to His Word and say, Yes, I will, or I will do better. He wants us to respond to His Word preached. Maybe it is here this morning that God's been convicting you that you've been trying everything in order to be saved. But here's the simple plan of salvation. Believe in Jesus Christ. And we would love to take the Bible here this morning. We invite you to accept Jesus Christ and take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. Have your sins forgiven. Have your sins washed away. And be on your way to heaven, saved, a child of God. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning. <clears throat> So, Father, we thank you for your goodness here this morning. We ask that you bless. <clears throat> Lord, oftentimes we can get the name and mentality. We can overcomplicate things because we don't just follow the instructions, the plan that's laid out before us. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us in every area. Lord, our Bible reading, our prayer, our witness, church attendance and if involvement, stewardship with our finances, marriage, parenting, citizenship, friendships, the list could go on and on. There is a simple plan, instructions that have been given to us. So Lord, I pray you'll bless now in this invitation. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as personal Savior, Lord, I pray they would come and Lord, that they could be saved this morning. So Father, bless us in your name we do pray. And as a